Praise the Lord. Will you turn with me in your Bible, please, to Psalm 51. You may have noticed all of the canned goods outside the door here. Those were from the concert last night that the replay band did. Great job, guys. And all those canned goods are going to Loaves and Fishes, which is a local homeless ministry that we've been supporting for a million years, something like that, Uh, 27 years, 30 years, something like that. And um, they do wonderful work out of Maryland Heights, but for the St. Louis area. And so all that food is going to them, which is a blessing. Um, There's always needs if you ever want to help with lots of things that are going on. I will commend to you the Chenault family. The Chenault family knows what's happening. So if you want to help with any kind of something, especially in the holiday time, with uh, people either that are homeless or needing some help, or uh, we've partnered with St. Louis Help, which does medical gear for lots of things that's free of charge, which is such a blessing. If you want to volunteer and help, though, because I know a lot of families are thinking about that, uh, the Chenaults are a wonderful resource, and they're going to know. They're going to know what to do. You guys are a blessing. We're going to look at Psalm 51 today. Before we read it, um, I want to talk to you about mucus. Yeah, I know. I know. Weird, huh? What's up with mucus? It's gross, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's, it's yucky. Uh, we've been looking in the Bible in the book of Acts, and we've been looking at how God grows the church for the last several weeks and what the Lord does as he builds us. I'm very excited that our pastor, William Ochoa, is coming from Guatemala and will be here next week, as Luke announced. Um, he is pastoring New Covenant Church, Guatemala City, and just doing a great job. And he today is with Robert Haynes in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and they're having a, a meeting together, which is awesome. Uh, but seeing what the Lord does and how he grows the church around the world is such a blessing. And having looked at the book of Acts of how God is growing us and growing his people and growing the church, it is such an honor to be a part of what God is doing because he found us, he found us, he saved us, and he found us worthy to join all that he is accomplishing in the world. Because at the end of the day, really, it's his power that grows us. We can't save ourselves, he saves us. We can't save other people, God saves them. We can't change the world, God changes the world. But to be able to cooperate with him and participate with him in the mission is fantastic. And we can do that by helping charities and things like that and canned goods, amen. But we also can do that with our neighbors and our friends and our families and people we know and people that God puts us around because he is, he is smart in where he places us. He doesn't usually do things without a reason. As we come though to Psalm 51, I want to talk to you about mucus this morning because for us to be able to participate in God's mission, it's essential that we can also call on God well, that we can actually seek him and not do what we want to do. I had a friend who was having a house built. Maybe some of you have had that experience. I've never had that experience of having my own house built. Uh, But he was having his own house built. And in construction of my own home, because I just fixed the stuff, I know that when you get the wrong things and they don't fit well, it's such a pain, isn't it? So my house currently is, made, is built out of two by threes, not two by fours. So that means nothing fits that's prefabricated, and it's really frustrating. Well, my friend who was having his house built, the builders decided that they actually found some different windows that were different than he had ordered, but they were on sale, and they were uh, really nice, better than the windows that they had picked out. And so the builder decided that he would put in the nicer windows as like a little bonus. The problem was my friend and his wife had painstakingly chosen the windows that they were putting in because they were really special. They were special for a lot of different meanings to their family, and their house had one of those special dimensions where it was essential that it was uh, 
being put in, like trying to put in prefabricated two by fours on a two by three home. And so the builder, thinking that he had done a really great job, shows the house now a picture of the house and says, look at these windows we got you. And my friend was immediately upset because he said, what happened to the windows we picked out? And the builder said, well, I, I put different ones in that I thought you would like better. And my friend said, but I didn't order those windows. I specially picked out specific things for this house for a reason with my wife. I want the windows we have. And he goes, oh, well, I thought it would be better because it, it was a little bit cheaper and I thought you would love this. And he goes, I never asked you to do that. How many people in life go through life building, putting things in, only to find maybe that God at the end of their life says, I never asked you to build that. And the reality is for us, if we're going to build the church God's way, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to do what he says, he has picked out the windows. He has picked out the way he wants the house to look. And he's the one who knits people together. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who moves us through history. And so as we are walking through history, it would be better, wouldn't it, if we seek him well to know what he's doing, to build the way he wants us to build, to be in lockstep with all that he's doing in the world so that we can know blessing in the things that we do. And then when the windows get put in, we can say, wow, Lord, you picked out special ones. And what do those windows usually look like? They usually look like people's lives changed, restoration relationships, the gospel infiltrating all parts of life. It looks like anxiety going away. It looks like depression and suicide ending. It looks like Jesus changing people and healing people and seeing the church stand with the poor and helping. And wow, all the things that sound great, don't they? But it's essential that we seek the Lord well. And as we seek him today, I want to talk to you about what forgiveness looks like. I want to talk to you about what it looks like to seek God in repentance. Because the first place that we seek God is in repentance. In fact, usually it turned out that when Jesus was around people, he attracted many times what we would call the worst of society. So what I mean by that are people who were either traitors to, uh, to the normal, normal social means or people who were outcasts. Especially in biblical times, if someone had a disease like leprosy, which still exists today, actually, and was deformed in some way, they were on the outskirts of all of the community. They were not allowed to enter in. And these people are the people who sought out Jesus all the time. And Jesus healed tons of people. But every person who encountered Jesus left changed by him. Because Jesus didn't just change physical things that were happening with people. Jesus would tell them, go and sin no more. They would come and immediately recognize that Jesus was holy and righteous and good and did the right things all the time. And often that shines on us to see that we do not. The call of the gospel is not just to love Jesus and know him, but to love him and know him and know the change that he makes in us because he washes us clean from sin. So how do we seek God well, especially in forgiveness and repentance? And sometimes I think it's a lot like mucus. Mucus happens sometimes. Have you ever been like a little bit sick, but not really sick? And then you cough hard and people think you have COVID and they just back away from you. And all of a sudden you, it's like mucusy gross. That's disgusting, isn't it? It's the worst, you know, but we deal with that all the time. Then other times you get really sick and there's like a lot of congestion and it's super gross, isn't it? Which point do you go to the doctor? When you just kind of have a little bit of stuff or when it's really yucky? When it's really yucky. But what happens is 
most of us walk through life often dealing with a little bit of mucus and kind of figuring it's not that big of a deal. It's pretty nasty, isn't it? It's nasty for a reason. Because that's what we view sin as. Sin is rebellion toward God. Sin is walking away from his path and what he's called us to. Sin is doing things contrary to what he has called us to and living in a way that he has not called us to do. Sin is sometimes building other windows into the house than he has called us to do. And the reality for us is we can get flippant about sin and what it is, and it becomes just a little bit of mucus in our life. But then when we have this mucusy junk and we go to seek God, it's in the way. Because rather than praying clearly, you're just coughing all the time. Have you ever been like in a movie or in a class or something and it's really quiet and then all of a sudden you get a coughing fit thing? That's the worst. The worst. The other day that happened to me, I had a, there was a little video playing and people were trying to watch it and I had felt a cough come on and I tried to stifle it. That goes not well. Not well. And so I stood up and I left the room and then I, I think I, I don't know, maybe died in the hallway and rose again. I don't know what happened to me, but it was loud. And then I went back in the room and people actually asked me, are you okay? And I was like, yes, probably because my eyes were bloodshot at this point from coughing so much, it was bad. It was bad, let's be honest. But how do we view junk in our life? Do we view it just like a little bit of mucus or stuff we can stifle, hold back the cough? Or do we need to go to someone who can heal us? Here's what Psalm 51 says. In verse 1 it says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Praise the Lord for his word. This psalm was written by a man named David. He was king of Israel. And David is a great warrior. He is called and anointed to follow God and to be the king. In fact, he's called in a time when there's a lot of warfare and things happening. David cuts his teeth, if you will, as a leader of the nation of Israel by becoming a champion for them. He stands up against giants. He fights against armies. He's a great general. He's also a, a musical guy. So he's the kind of guy that after they fight these battles, comes back around the campfire and says, throw me that guitar. And then he starts writing songs. This is one of the songs he wrote, actually, that was sung. It wasn't just a poem or poetry. It was a song that was sung. And in Hebrew, in the original language in which it was written, it sings in a very different way than the words do in English. But this is David, who was anointed by God to be the king. He had a prophet come to him 
who specifically says to him, God has called you to be king over Israel. Boy, wouldn't it be awesome to have a word like that? The prophet pours oil all over his head. He's chosen from amongst all his brothers. Doesn't everybody have, don't you have that? Wouldn't that be cool? Get chosen. And then he goes and it gets confirmed because he's killing giants. He ends up marrying a princess. He does all kinds of great things. And later in life, as he gets older, the current king of Israel, who he's actually serving, tries to kill David. It's a huge drama. It would be worthy of a great movie or miniseries on some kind of Netflix show. It would be amazing. The drama is intense. And all this time, God is with David, and he's finding favor, and he's moving forward, and he's doing great things, and he's seeking God, and he's looking for God to establish him. And instead of trying to make things by himself, he's trusting that God is going to do it. And guess what? God is doing it, and it's amazing. And he's going through time, and things are going well. In fact, he even has the greatest known warriors of the, of the age come and join him. The greatest warriors. David's not a big guy. But the biggest guys come and rally around him. It would be like for a moment if you had uh, The Rock show up, you know, like all the, like for really the superhero kind of guys. Aquaman shows up, Superman shows up, like Batman's your best buddy. Like that's what it's like for David. The, the, the most famous people, they call them the mighty men, come and rally around David. And they are united in their heart to make David king. It's incredible what's happening. And these guys become David's best friends. And they do exploits. Just at the whisper of things that David says, because he's their rightful king. They listen to him and risk their lives to do anything he says. And one time he even just says, just thinking about it, he's like, man, there's a city it's held by our enemies, but I just, I wish I could have a drink from that well that's in the city where I grew up. And so three of these guys fight through enemy lines all night to go to the well to get a glass of water to bring back to David and fight through the enemy lines again to bring them to David. And David the next morning is stunned that they heard just the whisper of his intention to go and would risk their very lives at just the, the whim of a thought that he had because he's their king. It's, could you imagine that kind of loyalty? It's amazing. And David says, how could I, how can I drink this? This is your very lifeblood that you brought this drink to me. This is the kind of relationship he has with these guys. And then something happens as David gets older. He grows in 2 Samuel, if you will turn there with me. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Something happens to David. He becomes king finally. Mighty men have established him. The kingdom is expanding. He's doing an excellent job ruling. He's seeking God in what he does. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David, it says this in verse 1, And in the spring of that year, the time when the kings go to battle, David sent Joab, who's one of his mighty men. David sent Joab, one of the generals, and his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. He stayed behind, and instead of going forward, and instead of leading the people, he kind of remains in the palace. He's getting a little older, and he decides he'll sort of just stay there. And while he's there one day, the word tells us in 2 Samuel 11, David looks out, and he sees something. 
He's on the couch in his palace, and he looks out his window, and he sees a beautiful woman who's bathing on a rooftop nearby. He's enthralled by her. She's, she's gorgeous. He can't take her, his eyes off of her. And so he looks around for his servants and finds them. He says, who's this woman who lives at this area? And they say, that's, that's Bathsheba. She is wife to Uriah, who's one of David's best friends. He's one of the mighty men. He's one of those ones who bound together, who had made an oath to serve David. He's one of those ones who, united in heart, had said, we will make David king. He's one of those ones who risked his life in every way to do even the little intentions of what David says. But here, his intentions have turned against his friend because he sees his friend's wife, and she's beautiful, and he wants her. And the intentions of his heart are not toward the Lord. They're not toward Israel. They're not toward leading. They're not toward doing what God says. Instead, they are what he wants selfishly. And so he calls for her, and she comes. And they have an affair together. And then she leaves. And a little while later, she sends word that she's going to have a baby. And there's a problem. There's a big problem. Because this is the king. This is one of his generals, one of his best generals. This is one of the most famous fighters in the land. This is one of the very best of them. And David's taken his wife. And David now has a child coming, and they can't explain it. And so David makes a story up, and he says, you know what we'll do? We'll call Uriah, that's his name, and he'll come. And when he comes, we'll just give him like a special weekend home. And I'll ask him about the army and what, what's happening at the, at the battle. And when he comes, he'll be able to, to come and tell me all the things. Then I'll send him home, and I'll, I'll give him a special bonus even. And so he'll be excited by the bonus, and so he'll want to spend it. Surely he'll spend it on his wife. They'll have a great evening together. Baby, problem is solved. Just comes a little early. It's going to be great. And so here he comes. And coming, Uriah reports about what's happening with the army. David gives him the bonus, money and good things. Uriah sends it home and then sleeps on the porch of the palace because he refuses to go back to his home. I was in the army once a long time ago, and uh, one day I got hurt really bad. And uh, we were in a training exercise and for the training exercise, I had, um, I had stepped on a log with my pack on, and it broke under my foot. And I fell, and I fell and twisted my ankle really bad. And it hurt a lot. We were 11 days in the field in an evaluation. And you cannot. You either make the evaluation or you fail and get recycled. That means you got to do it again. So I'm on day, like, seven. I'm not going to get recycled. So I laced up my boots real tight. And for the next three days, I wore my pack and I carried my weapon, and I did our missions, and I just limped and didn't take my boots off for three days. And at the end of three days, uh, one of my buddies dimed me out. And he told the instructor guy who was with us, he said, hey, Adeline, he's, he's hurt pretty bad. And so the instructor goes, we're going to do a foot check, which was pretty common to see how people's feet are doing. Everybody take off your boots. And I know if I take this boot off, I'm not going to get it back on. He goes, let's, let's get those boots off. So I took off my boot, and I was in a lot of pain. And um, he's looking at people's feet, and he gets me, he goes, whoa! And he's on his radio, he goes, we're going to medevac. I need a medevac now, because my foot was, like, black. So I went back to the hospital, and they checked it out. Thankfully, it was not broken, but it was sprained really severely. And so they gave me crutches, and they said, you got to go back to the barracks. 
So I went back to the barracks, and every one of my friends is now on day 11 of 11 in the field, but they've got one more night. And I, could, I just, can you, I couldn't bear to sleep in the bed when they don't get to. It's not, there's something about that, because you, you have this experience together, and you're not supposed to just be the jerk who gets to sleep in your bed. And this is Uriah, and I'm not a hero, I'm just saying this, I, I, I get what he feels. Because he says to David, he's like, my men are in the field. They're fighting right now. The general, Joab, is out there. You sent me to report, but I can't go home and hang out. Because it's, they're there and I'm here. I'll go back and when we're done, we'll come home. So he sleeps on the porch. So David's like, come on, you're, I got, you got you to gotta go home, bud. And he's like, David, far be it from me, my king. Send me back. Send me to the battle. So David goes, well, you're going to eat with me tonight. So he comes and he sits at the king's table. And David gives him extra wine, an extra wine, an extra wine. And then pulls out a bottle nobody's ever seen. And then pulls out something else special until Uriah's drunk. He goes, all right, go home, bud. Go home. Uriah stumbles out of the palace, falls down on the porch, and refuses to go home even drunk. So David hears the news and he goes back to his office. And he sits down at his royal desk and he takes out a letter and he writes to Joab, to the general, and he says, when the, heavings, when the fighting is heavy, put Uriah in the worst place. When it gets as worse as it can get, when it's the absolute heaviness of the battle, pull everybody back but make sure Uriah stays in the front. Don't let him come home. So he gives this message to Uriah, who hand delivers it without reading it, to the general. Because he's so faithful. The general reads it, and he puts Uriah in the place where the best fighters are fighting against them. You know who the best fighters are. If you've ever played a sport somewhere, you know which teams are the best teams. So up against the best team, Here's Uriah, and he says to Uriah, you have to do this for us. So when the heavy fighting begins, and when arrows start coming from the wall, and when everything is going poorly, they sound the retreat, but only for a few. And Uriah, being so full of valor and so valiant in what he does, gives his life to protect those who are retreating when he doesn't realize that he's actually giving his life to cover the lie of the king, his friend, who he established who he's fighting for, who he's faithful to. And Uriah dies in the battle. And Joab the general is so nervous about this that he sends a letter back with a messenger. And he says, when the king is angry because we didn't fight and win, when the king is angry because I didn't take the wall, you tell him the archers were too strong. When the king's angry because he knows we can do better, you tell him that their defenses were too good. When the king is angry and doesn't accept that answer, you tell him that Uriah fell, because that was the real plan. And so sure enough, the messenger comes to David, and David's, what, what do you mean you've lost the battle? Where's, what do you mean? Come on, this is ridiculous. And he says, Uriah, your servant has fallen. Oh, got it. And he waits a little while. Bathsheba, the beautiful woman, now pregnant, secretly married, 
after a little bit of time to let her mourn. It's a little suspect, but nobody kind of bats an eye. And he thinks he's gotten away with it. And then something happens in chapter 12. And there's a man named Nathan. He's a prophet. Prophets are people who just say what God tells them to say. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Lord, verse 1, sent Nathan to Daniel. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. It's a baby lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him as it, uh, along with his children. It used to eat his morsels and drink from his own cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and the rich man was unwilling to take one from his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But instead he went and he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come. That means he kills the little lamb and cooks it so that he can serve it to someone else because he's not willing to serve his own flock. Then David was greatly angered, and his anger greatly kindled was against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the rich man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you to be king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives, all of these into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to it to you much more. You have despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in, your, in, your, in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites." Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. And there goes on to be a, a curse against David, if you will. You know, God is so faithful, he had promised things already to David. Promised him he would always have an heir on the throne. You know, the Lord still is faithful to those promises, despite the sin. But here's the thing. David thinks he gets away with it. But the Lord saw all of it. The Lord saw the intentions of his heart. The Lord saw what he did. The Lord saw how he tried to cover it up. The Lord's truthfulness resounds through what Nathan says. You are the man. Isn't it funny how David is so angry at someone else's sin until suddenly his sin is shown? Isn't that like us? Isn't that like mucus? Builds up. It's gross. You hear somebody coughing. You're like, ugh, COVID. Yeah. Get away from me, sicko. That's what you think. It's true, isn't it? And sometimes we cough and we hack and things happen and it's just a cold. I'll be fine. So then we're, there we are, you know, at the chili cook-off. And people are like, oh, I'm fine. You, you won't get it. You'll be fine. What? Gross. Don't do that. But that's what it's like, isn't it? It's like mucus. The reality of what sin is, it affects our heart. It infects us. Sometimes bigger than other things. Sometimes we see it more. 
One time, a long time ago, I was in a, I had to do a gas chamber exercise. And in this gas chamber, when I was doing military training, you go into the gas chamber and they have like pepper gas that's all around you. And you wear your gas mask so you know you can trust the gas mask. That's the whole point. And then at some point, they tell you, take it off. So you take off your gas mask and they make you do exercises. And um, I was in there and we're doing this stuff and everything. And they said, take off your mask. And I remember taking off my mask and it was like somebody kicked me in the chest. Because you can't breathe, it's all fake. Your eyes burn, I can't see, nothing is working, it's all weird. And then you're, I'm trying to talk and they're asking me questions, I can't get the words out, nothing is coming. And then they say, all right, you can exit. As I'm exiting the place, I tripped and I look down, it's one of my friends who fell on the floor. He's just in there. So I grab him like, we gotta go! I'm trying yelling, I don't know. And we suddenly come outside and we're coughing and there's a guy out there, he's like, flap like a duck! Flap like a duck. That's what you're supposed to do, get the gas out from all the pockets inside your, you know, so it's not filling up your uniform. And so you flap, and they just take pictures of you and laugh and laugh. That's how it goes, all the instructors. But when that happens, my picture came up, and man, it was just goober city. Gross. Everybody can see it. There's times in life everybody can see it. And you try to flap like a duck to get it off of you, everybody can see it. It's just mucus galore. So other times we think we got it hidden real good. And here's what David says in the psalm. He's crying out to God. And in Psalm 51, as he's making this song around the campfire with his guitar, as he's singing it to the Lord, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words. He goes on to say, Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities in verse 9. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltless, guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation." And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, for my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You know, it's interesting. God had required of the Israelites that if they were going to come before him and be cleansed of their sin, the word had told us, he had said originally to our forefathers, that if you sin, you will surely die. The punishment of disobedience is your life. So in order to come into God's presence, the life of an animal, their blood had to be shed so that a life would be given so that your life would not be taken as you come into God's presence. But all of these things the Bible tells us foreshadows God's greater plan. Because the life of a bull 
or a goat or a dove or something like that, an animal, cannot replace the life of a human. But God had a person in mind. In fact, he had in mind David's own son, his great, 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 great grandson. And Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the son forever, becomes a man for us. And he enters into ridiculousness. You know, the people all around Mary didn't know that she was a virgin who had conceived by the Holy Spirit. They felt like her mucus was everywhere. What kind of reputation did she have? Jesus is born into ignominy. He's born into shame in the family. But Jesus is God. He's born. He grows up. He never sins. He never falls short. He completely follows the law. Everything he does is righteous. Every way that he goes is right. Everything is obedient. He follows God exactly. He never fails. He never transgresses. He's perfect in all he does. And then one day the father says to him, it's time for the plan to happen. And the plan is, you will take the place of those like David. You will take the place of those who have so much mucus it's killing them. You know, my Aunt Sally, she's handicapped, and she was born perfect. She was born perfect. In the hospital, she choked on mucus and got brain damage. And so from infancy, she was mentally retarded. I know it's a bad word these days, but that's how I grew up saying it. Handicapped from birth, but not. And here's the thing about sin. It handicaps us from birth. From birth, sin, the mucus is there. You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to lie or deceive. Just is there. Because we're born into this junk. And we need a healer. We need a savior who doesn't have that. And Jesus lived perfect. And then he would go to the cross to die the death of a traitor and be beat to death. He would be asphyxiated to death on the cross. He would suffer all the wrath of God poured out on sin. All of God's hatred of sin, because he hates sin, will be poured out on Jesus. The great healer of all of us would experience all of God's anger against what David did. All of God's anger against murder and, and deceit and all the things. And all of God's anger against what we have done against him would be poured out unto Jesus on the cross. So that he would completely take all the punishment for us. Because God will not receive the blood of bulls and goats, but he will receive the blood of his own son. And Jesus dies for us. His blood is shed for us to be the one sacrifice that will cleanse us from our iniquity and sin. When David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, how does that happen? It only happens by believing in Jesus Christ. It only happens by coming to him and saying, Lord, there is no strength I can do. There's no righteous anger I can have. There's nothing that I can conjure up in myself to get the mucus out of my life because it's invading me. It's making me handicapped in all I'm trying to do. And every time I try to turn away from it in my own strength, it just seems like it comes more and more. And then sometimes everybody can see it, and other times I can hide it really good, but it never goes away. Help me, Lord. What should I do? And the Lord sends his own son who dies for us, that his blood would wash over us. And we say, Lord, I will trust you. I will trust that I cannot create in myself a clean heart. I can't do enough to make it right. But instead, I can trust in you, O oh God, that his sacrifice is enough, that his blood is enough. You see, when we stand before God at his judgment seat 
And he says, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I give you salvation? There is only one right answer. And that answer is just because of Jesus. I claim Jesus. He's it. I, I got nothing. Lord, help me. And the Lord says he knows his own. He's our lawyer. He's our advocate. He didn't just stay dead. It's not just his bloodshed for us. He rose again to life. So now when you stand before him, the Lord himself says, this one is mine. They didn't make it themselves, but I've got them. And the Lord goes, that's enough. That's the gospel. The good news is it's not us. We would fail over and over and over, over and over. I can sound super tough with a hurt ankle, and I can tell you the shame of lots of things I've done. Lots of things I've done. Because at the end of the day, I limp more than I walk. At the end of the day, I've got more mucus than I want to admit. But the Lord himself, he's the one who cleanses us, takes away our sin, separates it as far as the east is from the west. How does that happen? It happens because you throw yourself on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, I'll trust you and you alone. I know that you died for me and rose again. Forgive me. And the Bible says he's faithful and just. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. How good is that? And then we turn away from all that sin and we say, Lord, I'll live the way you want me to and I'll do what you call me to do. Not because it will earn something great in God, but instead because we love him so much and we see the great gift that he has given us in salvation. Isn't that good news? It's great news. It's great news. It's great relief. It's better than anything you can get at the pharmacy because it actually cleanses us. It actually roots out the junk. And then you can sleep at night without coughing all night. And God's so good, he also heals our bodies too and does all kinds of good things. But our souls, he cleanses us. He makes us his. If you're living today with mucus in your life, if you've got so much that it's destroying your brain, come throw yourself before him and say, Lord, forgive me. How do we seek God to build the way he wants to build? You got to get rid of the mucus. Come to him first in repentance and say, Lord, I turn away from that junk. I seek you, save me. And he will save us. Maybe there's something that's been hidden for a long time, a, a cough you've gotten really good at stifling so that people can't recognize it. Set it before him. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins to him, he will cleanse us. Set it before him and say, Lord, forgive me. Maybe you're addicted to something that you're trying to keep secret. Maybe you're doing things in the dark hours of the night where you think nobody knows. Maybe you don't want your search history found out. Maybe you don't want your secrets exposed. Maybe you kind of explain where that money goes another way. Whatever it is, you know he's big enough to cleanse us of all of that. If David can be cleansed from murdering his friend and marrying his wife, maybe yours is that big. God's, his forgiveness is bigger. His forgiveness is bigger. His mercy is better than our transgressions. But what do we do? It's the same thing. Throw yourself before him and say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. Help me to know you and serve you and walk with you. And he is faithful and just and will do it. Can you all stand? I'm going to pray for you. As we call upon the Lord... We call upon him knowing that he is the one who cleanses us of sin. If you don't know the Lord today, or maybe today's the first time, or it's been a long time, and you have a cough that you've been stifling, and you feel like you don't have the power to get through it, 
The Lord's powerful. I got nothing special. But if you want to come up here, I'll pray for you. The Lord hears our prayers. He hears your prayers. I got no magic. I'm just me. But the Lord hears our prayers. Let me stand with you. We'll stand together because the Lord is good. And I'm going to pray for us now that we would hear from him. And if you want any kind of prayer or you want to see the Lord more, come on up and I would love to pray with you. And we'll dismiss in a minute. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, O God, that you are the great healer of the mucus. Lord, more than that, the sin is killing us. Lord, we're dead in our trespasses because of sin. But you, O God, you're the God of resurrection life. Thank you that you sent Jesus, perfect Jesus who died and rose again, that we can have life. Thank you that you have, O Lord, been so faithful. Forgive us, God, of our iniquity. Help us, Lord, to walk your way. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that they would know you and see you and serve you. Lord, let any secret sin or stuff cough that they're stifling well. Lord, expose it. Get rid of it, Father, for their benefit, for our benefit. Lord, help all of us to walk with you, in you, for you. And Lord Jesus, cleanse us that we might serve you well and seek you in pure hearts. Create in us a clean heart, O God, according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be blessed today. He is with you. He is stronger than the mucus. He is stronger than the sin and death. His resurrection is better and his gospel is better. May you know the great call of the Father. May you know the rule of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit as you go from this place. God bless you. We're dismissed. If you would like prayer, come on up. Otherwise, have a great day. Thank you, everybody.